0: This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 112, Invisible Wounds, Understanding Secondary Traumatic Stress. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you, and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech-language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. How are you doing this week? I am... Doing well. We are right in the middle of winter in Toronto and I am feeling the need to get a bit more sunshine. What about you? I love it when there is a crisp, bright, sunny winter day, but I am not a huge fan of winter, to be honest. So we are just plowing our way through. No pun intended. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the concept of secondary trauma or secondary traumatic stress. I know it's a bit heavy of a topic, but I really think that it is such an important topic for us to be talking about. And as I said in the title, Invisible Wounds, secondary traumatic stress is really something that happens to a lot of caregivers and helping professionals. and Nobody talks about it. So I wanted to share more with you here. Last time, last week, I defined some terms for us about trauma. We talked about three types of trauma, primary, secondary, and tertiary or environmental. We talked about big T and little t. And today we are just going to dive into part two. Now, day to day, you may not be aware of the negative effects that stress has on you that you are even experiencing secondary traumatic stress, especially if you're a caregiver or a helping professional. So remember, I gave that analogy last week about a frog in water that many of us are just not aware of how much you can tolerate and what your tolerance threshold is. Many people become aware that they're sort of passing their tolerance of threshold for stress when they reach a breaking point and they start to experience symptoms in their professional and personal life that they just can't manage anymore. Now, what determines your threshold for tolerating secondary traumatic stress is something else that you need to be considering. And Françoise Mathieu, she is a specialist in the area of secondary traumatic stress and compassion fatigue here in Canada. She's also the director of the TEND Academy. Now, she developed a tool alongside some other brilliant researchers and practitioners. That's a Venn diagram that can kind of help you understand what your risk factors are and what can contribute to your overall tolerance and your overall threshold. So it's much more related to the overall kind of things that contribute to work-related stress. So this actually can be very relevant to you even if you are not in a helping professional in any field that you're in looking at what factors impact your ability to tolerate stress at work. And her team When they were doing the research, they realized it's much more complex than just saying it's kind of one thing that contributes to your threshold. And that's why they created this Venn diagram, kind of helps you identify the real factors that affect your functioning and affect the quality of life that you have and affect the quality of care that you give to your clients or your loved ones if you are a caregiver or a helping professional. Now, the Venn diagram, it consists of eight categories. And I'm just going to briefly go through these categories with you because I want you to start asking yourself if you can kind of identify what some of your risk factors are, what contributes to your threshold, just to help you start building the awareness. Now, of course, building awareness is really important because you do want to know where your biggest vulnerabilities are because you may want to care for them more specifically. Now, two risk factors we talked about last time. The first one is direct exposure. And that really is experiencing direct exposure is basically the primary traumatic stress that we talked about last week. So it means that a traumatic event is happening directly to you or in front of you. It could be exposure to things in your personal life, such as an accident or a medical crisis, or it could be something that happened to you in your professional life, such as being threatened or assaulted. So that was one that we touched on last week. Now, the second one that we talked about last week, where we introduced at least, is indirect trauma. So this is the secondary traumatic stress that we are talking about. And Mathieu, she refers to these experiences kind of like, I love how she says this, the ones that haunt you or seem to hitch a ride with you after you hear or see or read about them. And she notes that there's variations of terms, secondary trauma, secondary traumatic stress, STS, and vicarious trauma is another sort of lingo word that you might have heard. And they all describe these experiences of indirect trauma. We already reviewed some examples, but it really could mean like Hearing the details of a client's story, reading case files, witnessing graphic testimonials in court, or even just hearing a colleague debrief a case with you, which, as I said, was something that was regularly occurring at lunchtime for me in my first job. And while support is important, there does need to be a specific way to support and set some boundaries to not be causing secondary traumatic stress when you are sharing what you have experienced. And no one ever ta- told us this. Nobody told us this in school. Nobody told me this in the workplace. So we just sort of openly shared Now, that's not to say that it's not normal to have a certain level of desensitization that takes place after you've been working for a period of time. And that often naturally occurs as you become more experienced. So there is a certain level of desensitization that you will experience as a caregiver or a helping professional. But again, you still want to be careful when you're sharing things because you don't want to be the cause of somebody experiencing secondary trauma as a result of what you're sharing. And Mathieu also points out that our exposure to social media, to the internet, to news, without even realizing it, many of us are exposing ourselves to indirect trauma on a daily basis. And it can range from reading disturbing things in the news to graphic coverage on TV. It's very much that frog soup that we talked about earlier. And I think this also really highlights the importance of monitoring what your children are watching. If this kind of media can impact us as adults in ways that we're not even aware, you can only imagine the impact that it's having on younger brains. So those were two things that we... Have touched on this is part of your Venn diagram of what places you at risk factor if you have been exposed to primary trauma and how much secondary trauma you are exposed to as well. but let's dive into some of these other areas. what else is impacting you So the next circle in this Venn diagram is your personal set of circumstances what has happened to you in the past and what you are going through now, Obviously can impact your threshold and even amplify any kind of work-related stress that you have. Now, personal circumstances can include things like your history, as we talked about with direct or indirect trauma, your personality, your coping style, and then like we talked about last week, your ACE score. So just a bit of a recap in case you missed last week, but please go back and have a listen. There was a big study done in 1997 that demonstrated that the more adverse childhood experiences, which we call ACEs, that somebody has in their life before the age of 18, the more likely they were to have negative physical and psychological outcomes later on in life. And cases included things like physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, but they also included things like neglect or separation or divorce of parents, mental illness in the home. So your ACE score does impact your threshold. Your immediate situation also impacts your threshold, such as if you're going through a particularly challenging time in your personal life. Or maybe you are caring for somebody who has significant needs or you have your own mental or physical health challenges. Now, as much as people try to be professional when they are helping professionals and leave their personal lives behind, they obviously shape and form and tint the lens that we see everything through. Because remember, adversity is like a shadow. No one is ever able to get away from it. So we're not immune to pain and suffering in our own personal lives. And so it spills over into other areas. And that's why self-care is so important, which is, of course, a whole other podcast that you can go back to. It is podcast number 58. So it's really important that you're aware of what your potential personal triggers are and what is going on in your life that will contribute to your ability to function. Now, the fourth circle in this Venn diagram is work-related grief and loss. And this is if you are in a role of a helping professional or a caregiver, then experiencing grief and loss is almost always unavoidable. And it can range from things that happen to our clients that are out of our control, and perhaps we feel heartache over, or perhaps it is changes with our colleagues or our workplace. So we don't want to underestimate. We are human. And even though this is a profession and something we've chosen to work in, we do experience grief and loss that is related to different things at work with our clients and colleagues. So that is uh, another circle in our Venn diagram. Now, the fifth circle is empathic strain. And Matthew, she really refers to compassion fatigue as empathic strain. And you can go back and listen a couple episodes back about compassion fatigue. So I'm not going to go into much detail here, but essentially it's the profound emotional and physical exhaustion that can develop over time. And Matthew states that it's really the gradual erosion of all the things that keep you connected to others, including your empathy and your hope, not only for others, but also for yourself. So that is definitely a component. Now, the sixth piece of the Venn diagram is what she calls systems failure. And by this, it just means the red tape and the rules and all the games that prevent you from giving the best possible care that you can. So that can be anything from paperwork or denial of services or long waiting lists or excessive referral processes. I know that this is a big deal in my world working as an SLP. I work with many car accident victims, and in Canada, if you're in a car accident or if you're hit by a car as a pedestrian or cyclist, you have access to funding through the motor vehicle insurance. However, I mean, that sounds kind of awesome, right? And it is great, except how much you have access to, and if they think you deserve the access, and how much treatment you should be getting, and proving that you have certain injuries. There is so much drama involved. It can be extremely frustrating and stressful experience for both the client and the professional, trying to get the services in place, and services being randomly cut off, and services being denied we often have to jump through hoops and submit these treatment plans. And often they get partially approved. Like I just had an approval last week and they told me that, yeah, it's okay. You can see this client for an hour a week. But there's no funding for any prep time or there's no funding for me to take any notes on my sessions, which I'm actually required to do by my college. There's no time allocated to communicate with other team members or other family members. And all these things are truly in disservice to our client. And this is often we're fighting to get services in place for our client, And then when we do get them in place, they're often cut very quickly. So yeah, systems failure can be a really big contributor to the stress that people feel and how that impacts the threshold overall. Now, under the same category is something that Mathieu calls moral distress. And moral distress occurs when you are asked or even told to do things which you may fundamentally disagree with or are morally opposed to or maybe your values conflict with what is required by law. And this is something that can come up frequently and it's really, really tough to manage. Now, the seventh piece of this Venn diagram are the working conditions. And this is a big one that I also believe contributes to many toxic workplace environments outside of helping professionals as well. Toxic working conditions are often linked to very high levels of burnout. And when we refer to what they are, they basically how you experience or perceive your workplace, including the relationship with your supervisor and colleagues, your perceptions of fairness and appreciation, including things like your compensation, which can include your salary, your rewards, benefits, time, etc., and your overall workload or your caseload. And then lastly, the final thing that contributes is sociocultural context. And this refers to the intersection of race and culture and gender and sexual orientation, religious beliefs, historical trauma, and other elements that define who you are. So the factors related to socioculture context Mathieu suggests include things like being asked to do tasks outside of your scope because of your race or gender or sexual orientation or religious beliefs. could be a lack of representation of your race or gender or sexual orientation or religious beliefs within your workplace or profession, and even belonging to a group that is experiencing discrimination. So all these factors put together contribute to your threshold and your ability to withstand work-related stress. I am going to throw one more in there. I would add your mindset about stress. Now, we've talked a lot about mindset on the podcast already when it comes to stress. So go back and listen to episode 25 and 64. But we do know that we have many stressors in our life, as have been described above, But how we think about stress also makes a difference. So mindset is definitely a piece of the puzzle. One of the reasons we often feel stressed is because we care so deeply about something that is being impacted. We don't usually get stressed about things we don't care about. So we want to get clear on our mindset and stress because we filter everything through our mindset. And these mindsets shape our lives. So we want to take some time exploring and learning about stress and the impact it has on our lives and the impact our mindset has on everything too. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a bit about how do you know that you have or are experiencing secondary traumatic stress? So the Venn diagram shows you the risk factors and your threshold, but how do you know you are experiencing it? Now, many helping professionals or caregivers don't identify secondary traumatic stress in their own lives because firstly, they didn't even know it was a thing or never thought of their work as being a chronic low-intensity trauma event. Now, I certainly didn't. So secondary traumatic stress is the emotional duress that results when you hear about a firsthand trauma of somebody else. And if you wanted to get a little bit more technical, it happens when you witness an event while also having a threat response where you get activated. So basically you go into a stress response and we talked all about the stress response back in episode seven, which was getting to calm. And then a couple of weeks ago in episode 110, the zone of resilience, I did a bit of review as well. So go back and listen to those because I explained about autonomic nervous system. Okay. So what happens with secondary traumatic stress is we may get very activated without even knowing it while listening or watching. So as people are describing things, maybe you start getting physical symptoms like your heart rate starts increasing or you start having sweaty palms or you start feeling sick to your stomach. And this is your body letting you know that it's being affected by what it is witnessing. Now, in addition, the activation of this threat response, the stress response, while you witness the event, whether the event is watched on TV or told to you by your clients, this causes the amygdala in your brain to charge the sensory memory from that event while it is encoding the event into the memory. So that means that it causes the person who has witnessed the painful experience To then perceive threat in the future when it's confronted with any sensory cues that are similar in any way to the witness's experience. So that might have seen like a lot of information, but basically what it means is that secondary traumatic stress happens when you are witnessing an event or exposed to an event that physiologically causes a reaction for you. Your brain then encodes that reaction. And then in the future, any time you encounter a similar experience that was told to you or that you saw, your brain interprets it as a threat and it is going to be serving you as a trigger. So basically your body remembers what it felt like when these stories were told and then you start feeling the same thing around similar triggers usually with this heightened sense of activation. Now, the symptoms of secondary traumatic stress are often very similar, actually, to the symptoms of PTSD. They're just different that they don't have, like, all five criterion for PTSD diagnosis. Maybe you're just experiencing one thing. But I'm going to share with you some of the categories where potential symptoms could fall. So you might have intrusive symptoms, so you may feel unwanted and painful trauma related to memory or dreams. You may feel distressed psychologically or have physical reactions to reminders of the trauma. The second kind of symptoms are avoidance symptoms, where you might find yourself trying to avoid anything that reminds you of the trauma. And the third way that symptoms manifest themselves is called arousal symptoms, where you may find you are more irritable or angry or engage in more self-sabotaging behaviors. Maybe you have a hard time relaxing or concentrating. Now let's get a little bit more specific about what this can look like in your own life. So what does secondary traumatic stress show up as in your own life? It could be feelings of anger or rage or sadness about something that happened to your client. Often it can manifest by becoming overly involved emotionally with the client. Maybe you have some difficulty enforcing boundaries and you may try to do more that is required of you to help the client. It can show up in ways like you're preoccupied with a client outside of the work situation, or maybe you're over-identifying with the client. It can also be feelings of hopelessness and pessimism and cynicism. You could end up trying to distance yourself or numbing yourself or detaching yourself, cutting clients off or colleagues off, trying to stay really busy, trying to avoid hearing more about their story. You may also find yourself having challenges with coworkers, maybe being particularly aggressive or short with them. And this last one was particularly interesting to me. It's hypervigilance in your own life or hypervigilance with your family members or your children. Now, because I work in the field of traumatic brain injury, I end up seeing all the exceptional cases, meaning not everybody who rides a bike and doesn't wear a helmet gets in an accident, but all the ones that I see do. And not everybody who rides a motorcycle gets in an accident, but the ones that I see do. So it's almost like my reality is skewed. And that means I become hypervigilant and I pass this hypervigilance on to my family members and my kids. So essentially what happens with secondary traumatic stress is there is a shift in your worldview. Some of your more fundamental beliefs about the world may shift because of the stories you've heard or what you have witnessed. Now, I do want to be clear that this is not something that our clients or our patients or our loved ones that we're caring for purposefully do or should not do or should feel bad about doing or feel shame about sharing. They are doing nothing wrong, but it is a natural consequence of certain professions. So we're not blaming, we're simply looking at what it is and then how do we deal with it to make sure that everybody is getting the support that they need. The clients are getting the support and the helping professional and the caregivers are getting the support. And Mathieu really encourages you to be looking at the big three warning signs she calls them. There's physical warning signs and these are certain things that are happening to you physically. So you may notice exhaustion, insomnia, getting a migraine, having an IBS flare-up, losing your voice, getting a backache, having a rash. So these are the physical warning signs that you are experiencing secondary traumatic stress. Now, the second kind of warning sign is kind of like the behavioral warning sign, being more snippy with people, having a lower tolerance for small talk, needing to isolate yourself more, or avoiding certain clients, maybe even feeling like you have imposter syndrome— It can also be like an impaired appetite or problems in personal relationship. And then thirdly, there are emotional and psychological signs, like emotional exhaustion, depression, anxiety, feelings of hopelessness, guilt, cynicism, anger, resentment, depersonalization, insensitivity, and the list goes on and on and on. So you do want to become familiar with what are your most frequent warning signs and then try to identify the top ones. Do you have a lot of physical warning signs, behavioral warning signs, emotional, or maybe do you see a mix in each of the signs in each category? Because awareness is always the first step. And that's what I hope I did for you today. I hope I heightened your level of awareness of what secondary traumatic stress is, what contributes, first of all, to your tolerance and your threshold of stress what secondary traumatic stress actually is, what are some of the signs and symptoms of it. And now you're probably wondering, okay, how do you manage secondary traumatic stress? And the good news is that there truly are so many things that you can do. There are specific techniques you can do while you continue to work, while you're face-to-face with a client or you're working in real time. But there are also things that you can be doing on your own outside of work. These are all things that I talk about when I coach my clients in my Burnout to Breakthrough program. And some basic examples include making sure that you have the basics covered. Exercise, sleep, proper self-care, breathing exercises, relaxation exercises, meditation. These are all things that you can do to help improve your threshold. And I want you to stay tuned because I am excited that soon I am going to be sharing with you a new free video series that I've created, and it's called The 30-Second Solution to Burnout. And actually, it's really The 30-Second Solution to Burnout, Compassion, Fatigue, and Secondary Traumatic Stress, but that was too long of a title, so it's The 30-Second Solution to Burnout. As soon as it's ready, I'll let you know. And if you follow me on social media at Leah Davidson Life Coaching, then you can find out about it there too. Or if you're on my mailing list, you will hear about it there too. So make sure you're also on my mailing list. And remember, if you feel or have been experiencing secondary traumatic stress and you want some extra help, then reach out. I teach you evidence-based tools that have literally helped thousands of helping professionals not give up their own health in order to do their job. So please reach out. I hope you found this episode helpful and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching.